because I'm going to address a topic that the church world for far too long has held as taboo and that we should not talk about. The fact of the matter is, is the Bible speaks about it quite a bit, and I need you to be rooted and grounded on Tuesdays and Saturdays also. And this is part of it. So we're going to talk about biblical sexuality, and the verses that I'm going to start with is what we often focus on. But make no mistake, we're going to talk about it in a much more broad context than just the verses that I'm going to read to start. If you would, turn to Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to just read verses 26, 27, and 32 to start. They'll be on the screen, but if you want to read in your paper Bible, that's fine as you find it. If you would, stand for the reading of the Word. It says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Dropping down to verse 32, it says, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Heavenly Father, I pray for your anointing, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, let what I speak purely be your word. Lord, not born out of my own biases. Lord, not born out of my own feelings, but God, simply your word and the truth of the message of hope. Lord, let what we do be to your glory and to your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read those out of the ESV also because, and I'm going to do that a couple of times this morning. I want there to be no mistake, no miscommunication, no misunderstanding about what's being said. It says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. The men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And in 32, in the ESV reads, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now church, I know this is not going to be something that we shout about in the early part, I hope we can later, because there always has to be some hope on the back end of things. Any time that someone takes to the pulpit and does not offer the hope of Jesus Christ, it is not a gospel message, but instead someone getting on their own personal soapbox just so that they can hear their head rattle, so to speak. This is not in the slides. This is something I just added, so don't worry about looking for this one. I was standing there thinking, how do I even start this message to address a congregation of people on biblical sexuality? And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 come to me. And that's where it talks about the, the man of sin being revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. We've got a world today, and we live in a world today, and even function in churches today, yes, even within our own denomination, that seems to try to exalt themselves, their name, their program, above God. And it's troublesome, but it's even more troublesome some of the things that we see slip in and how we see certain things handled. You know, there was a time, and it's very biblical, that you put certain people out of your fellowship. 
But God forbid we do that today because we would have the ACLU and the government and uh, local people picketing out in front of the church. But I'm telling you, there are biblical mandates for pushing people outside of your fellowship, not allowing them to worship with you. And we have passed on that. Now, I believe in the love of God. I believe that God has grace and mercy. And, and y'all know me long enough. You should know that I welcome anybody sitting back there in the pews. We need to welcome anyone in to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Because they cannot be changed unless the blood of Christ is applied to their lives. But to allow them to function in any capacity in the church is wrong. If they are sinful. But the reason I went to 2 Thessalonians is because when you go on down in that chapter, he talks about with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. That's where we're at today. We've got a world full, and I've got some stats that are going to absolutely blow your mind. Some of them. Some of them will you'll just set in amazement of that it's not as bad as what the media tells you. But we do live in a world, regardless of what the numbers bear out, that they will not receive the love of the truth so that they can be saved. Now Paul goes on to write, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion. Friends, we are in a time of strong delusion today. That they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That should make us want to weep. That there is a world out there that has believed a lie so that they may be damned for an eternity. Those ain't my words. Don't look at the preacher like he's cussing. That's Paul's words to those in Thessalonica. Here's the current state that we're in. And I found it odd. I would encourage y'all. We've got some of these out in the foyer. I'm sure we don't have enough for every person to take one. And if that's the case, please share it around. I would encourage you to get this evangel and read it. I had no idea that these things were going to be in there. I walked in this morning, and one of the articles is taboo or fear. And that's what I told you. For far too long, the church has held as taboo the topic of sexuality. We cannot talk about sex in church because that ain't right. That's a lie. If your parents told you that, they lied to you. If your grandparents told you that, they lied to you. Not intentionally. Not intentionally. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm just saying that they let secularism influence their thoughts and their ideas on what should be preached in church. Here's some stats that they come up with. They, entered, they did a men's confidential survey. Polled 350 men from more than a dozen evangelical denominations. 10% of the respondents are pastors. Of the other 90% who are laymen, the majority hold some kind of leadership responsibilities in their church. Deacons, elders, men's ministry leaders, etc. 64% struggle with sexual addiction or sexual compulsion, including but not limited to the use of pornography or other secret sexual activity. 25% admit to having had sexual intercourse with someone other than their wife while married since becoming a Christian. Another 14% acknowledge having had sexual contact short of intercourse outside of their marriage since becoming a Christian. This is the church. This isn't stats from the secular world. This is from within the church. The very place we should be very comfortable about talking about things in the Bible, we have pushed aside and ignored for so long that now we've got an epidemic on our hands.
from a 2016 Barna Group study. 13% of practicing Christians from ages 13 and older, this is independent of male or female, this is all. 13% age 13 or older sought out pornography at least once a month. 42% of the general population outside the church seeks it out. 6% between ages of 13 and 17 seek out pornography daily. 9% of all other teens. There's only a 3% difference between the world and the church. Eight percent of both practicing Christians and all others, ages 25 to 30, seek out pornography daily. Among pastors, one in five youth pastors use pornography monthly. One in seven senior pastors use pornography monthly. Twenty-one percent of youth pastors say pornography is a current struggle. 14% say it's a current struggle. 47% had learned of at least one acquaintance in ministry in the previous year who was struggling with pornography. 62% of youth pastors has learned of someone. Why? We've ignored it. We've not talked about it. We've not addressed it. Parents, you have failed in talking to your kids in a biblical manner about it. Grandparents that have custody of your children, you have failed in talking to your kids about it. Grandparents that don't have custody, I would caution you, don't overstep the parents. I'm just being truthful. That's the parents' place. That's why I don't need to be taught in schools. Anybody that's talking to a kid about sex needs to be taken to jail unless it's the parents'. That's Steve's opinion. Why is this a problem? Because the biggest problems in America, according to another survey that they've got in here, from a Gallup poll, June of 2022, biggest problem in America is economic problems. Economic problems. That's our biggest problem, is God can't provide for us. Now, I know that's not exactly what it says, but is that not what it means? We don't trust in God enough to provide for us, so our biggest problem is the economy. 40%. 18% said the biggest problem is the government because Biden is more powerful than Jesus Christ. Now look, I'm just painting a good picture for you. I'm just giving you the true opposite of it. Guns and gun control. Because that's what Cain killed Abel with was a shotgun. Crime and violence that has been around since the very first children were born on this earth. Immigration. God didn't provide borders, we did. I know that's not popular, but unifying the country. All of those rank higher than this next one. Ethics, moral, religious, or family decline. They had to lump all four of those together to get 4% of people that thinks that's an issue in our current culture. When you've got people that don't know what bathroom to go into, when you've got people trying to pretend to be something that God did not make them to be, only 4% of the people find it to be a problem. Folks, we have a problem. Now, there were some other numbers, and I don't want to bore you with numbers, but I want you to saturate your brain with this understanding that we've got a problem, and it's more than just homosexuality. My Lord, the church has latched onto that for far too long. It, we didn't know we can't have anybody gay come into church, but you can commit adultery and run around on your spouse, and you can shack up with the neighbor, and you can do all of these other things, and we'll find a way to sweep it under the rug. Now, look, I know what I'm talking about. Not every leader, but we have had some leaders, even in our own denomination, that has swept those type of behaviors under the rug, but will absolutely nail someone to a cross over homosexuality. That is wrong. But we focused on this one thing so much, we've left everything else by the wayside. 
We are so confused in this land that we don't know what is what. There is another study I looked at. This is actually from the census data from the U.S. government. There is a percentage of people in the United States, and this one blows my mind, they do not know whether to identify as a male or a female, yet they still consider themselves heterosexual. How do you know if you're heterosexual if you don't know if you're a man or a woman? I mean, this is confusion running rampant. There are some men that will identify as women and women that will identify as men, yet they still consider themselves heterosexual. How is that possible? It makes no logical sense, but yet they're out there. In another study, it's titled America's Generation Gap in Extramarital Affairs. This will be some that will absolutely um, shock you. The rate of cheating increases with age for both married men and women. The older you get, the more likely you are to cheat. That's what the stats say. 20% of older couples noted that they had cheated during their marriage. But only 14% of those under the age of 55. The most common group for adultery is those that have been married for 20 to 30 years and are aged between 50 and 60. Oh, it's all the young generation. We can't do anything with these youngins. They don't know what they're doing. They won't be committed. They won't stay settled down. No. It's the older folks that are setting a terrible example for the next generation that's coming along that won't talk about it in their home because like I preached out of 2 Samuel, just like David's daughter Tamar got raped, he had lost his moral authority to address the situation because he himself was guilty of rape just one chapter before. We've got an entire generation of people that cannot address this with their kids because they are guilty. The highest rate of infidelity in men is in their 70s. Their 70s. The highest rate for women is when they are in their 60s. It ain't that 30-year-old you got to worry about down the street. It's the 60-year-old next door. Ain't that something? But now married women are 15% more likely than men to have emotional affairs. But here's the sad part. All of these stats I just give you, you know they're almost identical in the church as they are in the world. Almost identical in the church as they are in the world. Matter of fact, among those that are evangelical or identify themselves as evangelical, the divorce rate is some 20% higher among evangelical Christians than it is in the world. It's taboo. We can't talk about it. We better talk about it or we're going to have a generation burning in the pits of hell that we have failed to tell the truth. But here's one thing I want to remind you of. I've got a bunch of other stuff to go through. But I want to remind you of this. We'll get down and pray. Oh, Lord, how long are you going to look on homosexuality? I don't know. How long has he looked on adultery? Oh, Lord, how long are you going to tolerate people being ignorant? I don't know. He's been tolerated for five, 6,000 years. One half of me wants to pray, even so, come quickly. The other half wants me to say, God, tarry just a bit so we can reach a few more. You know, we should be torn in that way. We should have something in us that wants us to reach out to people because Satan has deceived not just the world, but even those within the church for so long. Over 97% of people identify as their proper gender. Not all is as bad as the media would like you to have you to believe. 97% of those that come out of the womb as a male identify as a male. 97% of women that come out of the womb as a female identify as female now I don't care what you say 
And you need to address this. If you've got kids, you need to talk to them about this. I don't care what someone says. They need to take a stand against the foolishness. If you have to homeschool them, homeschool them. You need to let them know that he is he and she is she. There is no other difference. There is nothing other than male or female. Male and female, he created them in his image. And 97% of the population stick with that. Don't listen to the media. Don't listen to the news. We know that it's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease, right? Well, that 3% is loud and obnoxious, and they need to sit down and shut up. And they will not do it as long as we keep sitting down and taking a back seat to ignorance. We are the majority. And you know, of those 97% that identify as God made them, also identify with their proper natural sexuality. 90% identify as heterosexual. Where is the problem? We're trying to grease the squeaky wheel. We're not addressing it in church because it's taboo. It's not taboo. God set limits and foundations for us. I talked about all the adultery. Over 80% of couples have remained faithful to each other. Now it would seem to me from those numbers, now that's good. 80% of people have been good and faithful. 90% of the people are heterosexual. There's a problem in those numbers. We have preached against homosexuality for as long as I can remember. Yet the bigger problem is divorce and adultery. The numbers bear that out. The bigger problem with us when it comes to sexuality is uh, adultery and divorce. It's because Satan has a plan. Can I tell you, it is a matter of heart above all else. Everything about us is a matter of heart. Do you have the heart to chase after God, or do you not, and do you want to fall in the way of the devil? Here's a better question. Do you condone even if you do not participate? Oh, her husband's been mean to her. She needs to find her someone to care for. No. Now, they might need to get divorced because abuse is grounds for that. If he's committing adultery, they've got grounds for divorce. Maybe you just need to leave. But you don't need to go fall into the arms of someone else. His wife has not paid attention to him. Is it any wonder that he's over at the neighbor's? I don't blame him. Now you might not have committed adultery yourself, but in doing that, according to what Paul wrote, that both are worthy of death. Here's what we need to do. We need to do well to understand the matters of guarding ourself. And relying on God because what the world tells you today is do whatever makes you feel good. It's almost unpopular in certain circles now to not explore sexually in high school. They want them to explore to figure out what they want to be. We've got to take a stand. If you condone that, you are as guilty of exploring as they are. We don't need to rely on emotions or fleeting feelings. Oh, it's just a phase. It'll pass. Yeah, one day it's going to pass. And if they're living in a life of sin, they have believed a lie and you know the rest. Proverbs 28 and 26 says that he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Oh, I know what's best for my kid. Yeah, tell them the truth. Tell them the biblical truth. Oh, I just can't talk to my brother or sister about it. They'll get mad. Okay, do you want them mad and in heaven? Or do you want them happy in hell? 
But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We're exploring it deeper every day. Every day that the Lord tarries one more day, we are plumbing the depths of the wickedness of the hearts of society. We're finding more and more. It's not new, folks. This is not a new thing. It goes in cycles. Solomon said there's no new thing under the sun. We're exploring things now that was on the scene when Jesus showed up the last time. We've got society out there that tells us that pedophilia is acceptable and good, that it shouldn't be frowned upon. Can I tell you what Roman emperors done since there's no kids in here? What Roman emperors, some of them would do, would get young 8, 9, 10-year-old boys and train them to swim underwater holding their breath so that they could take care of them while they were nude swimming above them. This is nothing new that we are exploring today. But the last time that it happened, Jesus Christ showed up and He made a new covenant so that we could have a way to escape this wickedness and to strengthen the power to stand. But yet we won't even talk about it. Mark 7, 21-23 For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. We'll talk about evil thoughts. We'll talk about murders. We'll talk about being a thief. We'll talk about not coveting. We'll talk about the wicked world. We'll talk about the deceit of the devil. We'll talk about all of these things. But in this list, in this very same list, is fornication and adultery. And I've got to skip a few things and I'll let you know which one I'm going to, Tori, in a bit. You see, here's the thing. All of this is a matter of heart. Sex just happens to be the easiest way the devil can tempt us. Other than power, sex comes second. Now how do I know? You can go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, and if you can find it on there, I'm going to go to Genesis 3 and 10. Adam and Eve has been created. They're in the Garden of Eden. I don't know how long they've walked with God have no idea how long they've walked with God. But I know one day the, the allure of authority and power got the better of them. Didn't just get the better of Eve, but it also got the better of Adam because he was standing by and he said nothing. But here's what I also know. That when God come, their worry wasn't that they had eaten from the tree. Their worry was their sexuality. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I ate the fruit. I was afraid because Eve did something. I was afraid because I did something. Nope. I was afraid because I was naked. We have done the same thing in the church. He was ashamed of being naked with his wife. Why? Why? There is no shame there. That is absolutely right and biblical with your wife or your husband. Not the neighbor. Let me be clear. But immediately, immediately, the very first thing that come after the allure of power and authority was issues of sex and issues of sexuality. Now we just covered Revelation 18, 3 and 4 not long ago. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So the very first issue that we have, and the very last issue we have, is sexuality. 
tell me it's not important. When it bookends the fall of mankind, it is absolutely important. And going on down to verse 4, it says here another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. I think that same call stands today. God still stands and calls for you to come out of the fornication of the world. The world and Satan has tried to make us ashamed of proper sexuality in the church world. And then outside the church world, it has made us rebellious against that which is natural and normal. It has become this taboo subject in the church and an intolerant subject outside the church. If you want to know Satan's plan, right there it is. I just told you. Don't address perfectly normal aspects of human life in the church so it can corrupt our minds and views about it and deceive us outside. That's the plan of Satan. And that leads us to this view of sexuality. That's that slide, Tori. I can print some of these out. If anybody wants them, I'm going to run through a couple of them real quick. Percentage of, and this is on the left side, percentage of U.S. adults who say each of the following is acceptable regardless of whether they would do it themselves. Sex between unmarried adults in a committed relationship. 33% of Christians say it is always acceptable. Friends, it is unacceptable. That is called fornication. Let me, let me clear a couple of definitions. Adultery is when you have sexual relationship with someone other than your legal spouse. That's adultery. Fornication is any sexual activity outside the confines of marriage. Any sexual activity. Any. But yet 33% of Christians say that fornication is okay all the time. 24% say it's sometimes okay. That is 57% of Christians say that fornication is acceptable. Casual sex between consenting adults who are not in a committed relationship. Let's use some modern terminology, a hookup. 18% of Christians say it is always okay. 32% says it is sometimes okay. 50% of Christians are okay with hooking up. This one is the startling one. An open relationship. A committed relationship where both people agree that it's acceptable to date or to have sex with other people. Six and twelve percent, always and sometimes. That is 18% of Christians think it's okay. It's okay to commit both fornication and adultery. Having sex on a first date. 19% said always or sometimes it's okay. That blows my mind. It is absolutely unacceptable that preachers are not preaching a biblical sexuality. But why? Because we get nonsense like this. We get pastors looked up to in our own denomination that chase after reformed theology and the people that have these kind of thoughts and then we put them into position because it's popular. Because we won't preach it in the small local churches. We won't get our people rooted and grounded that adultery is a sin and will send you to hell. That fornication, any sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage, I don't care how old you are, I don't care if you're a 60-year-old woman or a 70-year-old man that's having your first affair, or if you're a 16-year-old boy or girl at school trying to hook up, it is not okay. It is a sin. Here's God's design. And I know this is running a little long, but I've got to go through these because you need to understand and know where we're at. Like I said, I know this ain't a shouting message. wasn't intended to be. Two points first. There is a general 
characterization throughout the entirety of the Bible that speaks against extramarital affairs and unnatural intercourse. This quote is out of the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. The New Testament is characterized by an unconditional repudiation of all, all, every bit of it, extramarital and unnatural intercourse. Now it goes on to say that in this respect, it follows to a large degree the judgment of Old Testament and Israelite preaching and transcends the legalistic practice of later Judaism, which is shown to be inadequate by the word of Jesus. In other words, in simple layman terms, it doesn't matter if you look in Old Testament or New Testament. Whether you look in old rabbinical laws or wherever you look, universally, extramarital relationships are unacceptable if they are sexual. Period. Now, we would do good to understand that marriage is only between one man and one woman. That absolutely must be said. Man cannot marry man and it be legal or right in the eyes of God. Female cannot marry female and it be right in the eyes of God. It is a sin. Know ye not, not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators... That's any sexual activity when you are not married as a man and a woman. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Nor idolaters. I've got something to say about that tonight. Not in this context. but Nor adulterers. Nor the effeminate. Or abusers of themselves of mankind. Effeminate. We take it as just a weak man. But it was really a little deeper than that in the Greek. That it was male prostitutes. It was male homosexuals. Nor thieves, nor covetous, covetous nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. The ESV gives the list as this, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Now why do I know that marriage is man and woman? I don't ever want to hear anybody in my congregation say, well God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. If that's the most that you've got from my preaching, we need to sit down and have a talk. Because that's going to do nothing, nothing to show anybody anything out of the Bible. Matthew 19, 4 through 6 says, And he answered and he said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, yes, God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. It's absolutely true, but it's the stupidest thing you can tell someone when you're trying to convince them of what the Bible says. Because the Bible didn't say that. The Bible said this. And he said, for this cause, because he made you male and female, for this cause, males, you leave your parents, females, you leave your parents, that's not popular either, and you become one flesh. If you've got a monster-in-law instead of a mother-in-law, you need to set her on the curb. I'll talk about that when I talk about relationships. You may not agree, but I'm telling you the truth. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Man cannot tell me that it is right for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman. Because what God has put together, man cannot separate. And that is what God has put together is a right and proper relationship between male and female. That is natural and normal. Now there's all kinds of lists throughout the New Testament like the one that I read out of 1 Corinthians. But they all seem to lump fornication, adultery, and homosexuality as grievous sins against God. Every one of them. 
And it is abundantly clear that any sexual activity outside of marriage has never been condoned or accepted by God. Ever. And never will be. Marriage has always been one man and one woman. And the only acceptable place for the intimacy of sexual relationship is in the marriage bed. That's it. It is important to understand also that God designed us to enjoy each other in intimacy within the confines of marriage. It is not a tool for manipulation. You go home and you scroll through Facebook videos enough or TikTok videos or Instagram reels or whatever else, you'll see men and women both will use interaction, not just sexual but of any kind, They'll try to manipulate and use it as tools to control their spouse. Women, if you do that, you're in sin and you need to repent. Proverbs is a little bit of a tough one, but I'm going to read it anyway. Sexual intimacy is not something we should be ashamed of. You can go back to Proverbs. Drink waters out of thine own cistern. Running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad. Rivers of waters in the streets. That's kind of a question of whether it should be a question or not. I'll show you here in a minute. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving, kind, and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. I'm going to skip the ESV of that. I'm going to go down to 1 Corinthians 7 and 2. Because to some this may be controversial. To me it's biblical and this is what God says. Holy Spirit inspired the scripture, did he not? Holy Spirit's part of God, correct? Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Friends, can I tell you, when you get married, it is no longer my body, my choice. The wife hath not power of her own body. Boy, how popular is this going to be in 2022 on Facebook? But the husband, oh, but wouldn't, men, wouldn't we like to stop right there? Men, would we not like to stop right there and just cut it off? But we can't. Because likewise, also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Let me put this in real plain English. And I'm going to try to be tactful. We are born with needs and desires of intimacy. It differs for men and for women. Men, generally, but not always, Women need a more emotional connection. And if you withhold that from them, you're in sin. Maybe you do have a wife that is more physical and she needs that physical intimacy. If you withhold that from her, you're in sin. Women, the same goes for you. Men need intimacy. We're designed that way. And if you use it as a tool or a manipulation to get what you want in a marriage, you're wrong. That is not what God designed. He designed us to be one flesh, to live together, and to fulfill each other. That is what He told us. But if you've done any of these things, it's okay. It's okay. Because God offers forgiveness. And that is where we have to put the central message here. Yesterday does not matter if you set a new tomorrow for you on the horizon. 
We absolutely must preach the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to the adulterer, to the fornicator, to the husband and wife that are not tending to each other as they should, however that may be to the murderer, to the reviler, to the drunkard, to all of these that have been listed time after time, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Now, I've told you what is biblically right this morning, and I've tried to do it in a way that is tactful, in a way that is not harmful, but I've just tried to do it in a way that is straightforward and by the Bible. But I also must tell you this, that there was this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Now my suspicions are is that the people that caught her in an act of adultery were probably looking for pornography. I talked about that at the very beginning. How are you going to catch her unless you're going there to visit her or you're there looking over the wall to see what you can see? Because they're not doing it in the middle of the street in Jerusalem. Let's just use some common sense. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives and Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. The very act, that's how I know they seen what was going on. They took her in the very act of it. I don't know, maybe they were mad because it wasn't them, let's just be honest. Long time problem. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Well, unfortunately today we do a lot the same. This, they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. A lot of people like to ponder what Jesus might have wrote in the dirt I don't and here's why because your railing accusations against those outside the church is falling on deaf ears in heaven God's over here writing in the sand as though he hears you not There's the biblical precedence for it. Jesus Christ himself was standing there and the world came. This woman was sinning. This woman was sinning. You need to kill her. Jesus acted like he didn't even hear him. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Either make a way of reconciliation or leave it alone. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? No man condemn thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. I have come this morning to talk to you about biblical sexuality. But I want to end it by telling you that regardless of what your yesterday involved, there is a light of the world that is standing, waiting for you to come and accept Him as your Lord and Savior and Master. Because He wants people that follow Him that they should not walk in darkness, but should have the light of life. Now I can summarize all this in two verses and a couple of points. That's exactly what I'm going to try to do. First is this, sexual intimacy is perfectly normal and healthy within a marriage. Let me be clear. With marriage being one man and one woman only. 1 Corinthians 6 and 18 tells us this. Flee fornication. We like to say all sin is equal, don't we? 
It's not. Because every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But, but, when you visit the neighbor, when your wife ain't home, you sin it against your wife, you, your neighbor, and if she's married, her husband, and against God. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Church, we have to quit accepting the unnatural as normal. 97% identify as the gender of which they are born. The gender God give them. 90% of those identify and live a heterosexual lifestyle. A normal, natural life. We have to quit accepting the lies and normalizing sin and we have to live in the way that God has intended. Now let me give you Hebrews 13 and 4 and then a quote and then I'm going to close. Hebrews 13 and 4 says this, Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Okay, marriage is good. Sexual intimacy in marriage is okay. It's good. It's normal. But... But, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And I'm going to put this last quote up. I've said it a hundred times today in various ways. Any sexual act outside of the normal and natural act of sexual intimacy inside the confines of marriage is a sin. I don't know how to be more clear. I don't know how to be more plain. But that is what the Bible has to say in part on biblical sexuality. Now this morning the altar call is a little different. Well, maybe not. Depends on how you respond, I suppose. Here's what I'm going to tell you. We're probably all guilty to some degree of something that I mentioned this morning. Now, for some of you, it may be long in the past and well under the blood. If so, hallelujah. Praise the Lord, because that's where it needs to be. If it's something you still struggle with, you can't flee it holding the hand of Satan. You need to come and get a hold of the hand of Jesus. It's nothing to be ashamed of. What would be a real shame is you ignoring the, the guilt and the convicting power of the Holy Ghost and going to hell over it. That's what would be the shame. So the altar call this morning is, is just this simple. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he said it right after a woman was caught in the act of adultery, something that should have had her killed immediately. So no matter what you're guilty of, Jesus is still standing saying, I am the light of the world. He wants you to come and follow him so that you are no longer walking in darkness. And with that, I'm just going to open the altars this morning.